she sold a property that made her end up having a lot of money in her hand. So before you know it, she casually started taking some kind of recreational drugs. Before you know it, she lost everything. And when I say everything, her children are now raised by their father and grandmothers. And she lost the money and she was on the street last time I checked. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast with your host, Anya Fombat. And I have here with me today my big sister slash <laughs> big friend slash mentor. And this is my Ethiopian sister. Her name is Kelem Kajala. And we're here to talk about mental health from a different point of view. And that also specifically in relation to substance abuse. So Kellem has a very, very interesting story. I've known Kellem for a very long time, I must say. And in case she doesn't know it, I really look up to her. So this is such a conversation oh. that <laughs> I'm really excited to have. And it's always fun with us. So I'm super excited to have fun, you know, in this conversation, because that's just basically how it always is whenever we link up and we have a conversation. So welcome to Living African Podcast, Kellem. It's such an honor to have you. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well thank you thank you and thank you for saying this kind word but uh, you are uh, the young sister definitely <laughs> and a big sister to my daughter right yes, and then we've been <laughs> friends family colleagues and everything all, all day above I know for and almost 20 years <laughs> yes it is it is I know and it's yes. been so much fun you're that one person that I feel like you know every single person in Addis like every single influential <laughs> person in Ethiopia it's like like everyone knows Kellum. <laughs> and it's like, I always, I, yeah, no, that's true. It's like, you know, everybody and, you know, it's always so much fun, you know, hanging out with you. Like you always, you bring me into rooms that I never will have been if I were, you know, if I didn't know you, you know, so I really appreciate all the, you know, the people that you have made me to meet and you've had me, you know, mingle with, you know, so I really appreciate that. But most importantly, I am super excited for our conversation today. So can you introduce yourself to the guests? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Kalamur Kajala and uh, I know it's a long name, but uh, I have also a nickname, Munit. And uh, in short, I'm Kalam anyway. So I'm born Ethiopian, but uh, and also moved uh, to America when I was uh, 
18, teenage, like 13, 14. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much graduated uh, my high school in, in the U.S. And then after 21 years, moved back to Ethiopia. Yeah. So I'm a diaspora in, 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 within Ethiopia. So I've so been in Ethiopia for 20 years and uh, back in Ethiopia and with my two kids and uh I work for the United Nation and um, also I'm a, like uh, my two kids. My daughter has graduated high school and she's third year in university in Boston. And my son is a senior this year, ready awesome. to again attend college. Yes. Awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. That's so nice. You know, it kind of feels like we all grew up together. You know, I remember back in the days, like when we always used to meet up at, you know, because my mom is also is your colleague as well. Like, so we used to meet up. Oh no, my boss. <laughs> your mom is my boss. <laughs> I don't want to get you into trouble, right? Exactly, not my college. Well, yeah. Well, it feels like she's even your big sister, you know, like I feel like my mom is more of your big sister than your boss, you know. Just, you know, no doubt. I mean, she's definitely a big sister. I know. And, you know, like I feel like we just grew up with your two kids, you know, they're like siblings, especially Daniela. She's like my little sister, you know, so. you do look alike. (laughs) I know. Always say, Dr. Grace and I. Right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I really feel like, you know, you're that one Ethiopian family that we can, you know, really call family, you know? So tell us, you know, I really want the audience actually to know about your history, like how you grew up and who we are actually going to be talking about today in relation to substance abuse. Okay. So this is a very dear and sensitive topic to me because my younger brother, he would have been in October, this uh, past October, he would have been 34. Mm-hmm. He committed suicide seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So how, I mean, obviously he's a young man who grew up in Ethiopia, finished high school, attended university in India. And uh, when I came back to Ethiopia, by then he already graduated university. And then he was working very handsome, very nice, very kind. But yet he was very quiet. He's the quiet type from among our brothers and sisters. I guess he's the only quiet one and he was the youngest one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I came back to Ethiopia in 2002 and uh, it was so nice to have him in my life. And he he was working. He was, you know, the big uncle or the youngest uncle for my children. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I know it, things were changing. And uh, I mean, he was working, but yet he couldn't keep up with the pressure that he was feeling within the society and um obviously he you know he was you know he's independent he was independent but yet not enough i think that comes from the fact that he had mental issue like the depression and um yeah. he couldn't cope so with all the pressure so before i know it he started abusing some sort of maybe i'll call first at the beginning and then later is chat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the grass. Very common here in Ethiopia. The green leaves. Yeah, the green leaves. Yeah. Cat. They call it the cat. And the thing after that, maybe some kind of drug, but I don't know. But uh, struggling. So we didn't notice first. And But my mom, one day, she went to his house and she realized there was nothing in his house. Hmm. Because he was fired from his work and then he had sold everything within the house to maintain his habit Drug abuse, yeah. his, uh, fixed. the addiction so addiction yeah and then so then she had to take him back home 
And then, you know, he lived with her and uh, he was also stealing from her, you know, to, you know, to keep up again with the addiction. And obviously he didn't leave with me, but I saw that. And then finally I, I gave in and I said, you know what, let me take you to rehab. And so I took him to rehab. I admitted him for six weeks. I attended all the meetings, uh, brought him food every day. And, you know, he was clean. He was clean. And so finally he was discharged after six weeks and I brought him home. And then we start life for him anew. So new clothes, new computer, new phone. And then he was in my house. And then at that time it was summer and we left him in my house to go for the summer break. And then we're going to come back and look for a job for him. Mm -hmm. So I said, just relax. We come back. I come back and he literally, you know, stole everything. I mean, whatever he could take from the house and took and sold it to get money to buy. I don't know what kind of drugs to tell you the truth until this day. I don't know what kind of drugs that he was taking. So he relapsed and then I kicked him out of the house. He went back to my mom's house. Next thing you know, my mom could not handle him. Hmm. And again, we tried the holy water here in Ethiopia is very well known to healing demons, Mm -hmm. you know. So we decided to send him in one of the holy places, a church, uh, maybe two hours away from Addis, and for him to be baptized and then, you know, be in the church for like a week or two. And then he went and he was okay and he came back. And again, he relapsed and my godmother took him and again, he went to her house, he managed and he couldn't handle it. I mean, I don't know what it was, but he just couldn't make it. So finally, it was a long process, but I think he was in this state of mind and addiction for close to five, six years. Mm-hmm. So it was a tough moment. And then, and I keep blaming my mom and I keep saying, it's you who's the enabler for him because you give him this, you give him that. Because first I didn't know how deep it was. Yeah. So but until it happened to me and then at the time I brought him back to my house that he, he gets out of control. So finally, I remember the day it happened. I called my mom and I told her that I was going to West Africa for the Ebola outbreak. And yeah. I was just going to take an assignment. And I told her that I'm leaving. And she said, what are you going to do with your kids? And I said, you're going to come and look after my kids and I'm going to go. And she said, no, I already have a kid. So what do you mean? So she was addressing my brother. Yeah. And I said, no, it's you. Get him out. Just leave him alone. Don't baby him. You know, we tried everything. He's not, you know, he's not responding. So let him, you know, face his challenge on his own. So this is what I said to her on Monday. And on Wednesday, she calls me. I'm at work. And she says, oh, listen, he's gone. And I said, she's crying in the background. She says, listen, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. You know, he's gone. And I said, who's gone? And she said, oh, his name is Al- was Alex. And he said, Alex hanged himself. And it was the saddest thing I, until this day, I heard that conversation with my mom and it breaks my heart. And I said, I said, oh, I still didn't understand. So somebody had to get on the phone and tell me the fact. So I was at work. I couldn't just, I, I, don't, I don't remember if I was sitting or standing. But anyway, it was a heartbreaking moment. And I froze for a few minutes. And next thing I know, I understood what happened. So I packed up my stuff and then I left to see my mom. And my mom lives, I remember, not in at this in the city, yeah. but in Debrazade, which is Debrazade, an hour minutes away. Yeah, 45 an hour. So I drove to her house to see. And it, it's true, he was gone. 
Yeah. So he committed suicide. So the bottom line is Ethiopia now, he was the first one that I encountered that early in my Mm -hmm. life. But still what I see, especially through my job, also similar situation, young people getting addicted to some sort of drug or some alcohol, I don't know. But And there's a lot, quite a lot of drugs out there within the city and people underestimated. But I saw my own eyes up to cocaine. And at this, so there's yeah. cocaine, and of course, weed is everywhere, but uh, at alcohol, I mean, you name it. And I don't know what kind of in terms of uh, prescription drugs there is, but I think tramadol, I know, tramadol, I think there's quite a lot, but yeah, there's you know what the kids were uh, cough syrup, yeah, the cough syrup, they, hand sanitizer, syrup and, and hand sanitizer. And I heard that recently, mm-hmm. and so. It's out of control. And the sad thing is there's no support. There's no treatment center. And the demand and the supply for the treatment, there's one particularly that was just maybe two, three years ago, opened the name of the facilities called the Sutota. And that's where all the young people that are addicted to drugs are going nowadays. And most of them are kids from the private school, very well-to-do family and addicted to some sort of drugs and then and not getting enough help. And I think seeing my brother going through that underneath my own eyes, it's uh, in a way a rude awakening. Like, you know, you, you feel like you will know when something was going wrong, but mm-hmm. really don't. And also I think it's because the anger and the frustration that you face day to day as a family. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's what I think my frustration was coming from. And I, I used to say to my mom, you know, stop supporting his bad habit and then she said to me one day if you have five fingers if this gets winded or something Mm -hmm. would you cut it off and I said since that finger is not on my hand if I see this infection or some sort of wound that's not healing I said I'll cut it off and but what she meant to say as when it's her own finger it's harder Mm -hmm. and then I understood then as a mother I said you know what I'm not going to judge I'll leave it alone so that's the time that he was really struggling with her and they were struggling and I couldn't intervene and you know I'm the one by the way when I moved back here who sent him to India to do his uh, university and then come back here get him a job get him a car and but he couldn't handle it and then finally he did commit suicide and then I look back now and I see a lot of young people on the street and I said you know what maybe he's in a better place right you know because like I said there's not enough support out here yeah and the amount of drugs that is out there and it's not compatible yeah. to the environment and what's happening yeah so where it's coming from I don't know it's all in the private schools now I I know nobody's talking about it the big elephant in the room I know it's everywhere in the yeah. city yeah yeah, and then we do have some of our staff member also mm-hmm. who goes through this kind of addiction. Yeah. So this is the road to where I, you know, to recovery, but still as a, a sore subject for all of us. Yeah. But I want to talk about him so that way uh, he can still live yeah, in my yeah. mind and my heart. Yeah. But uh, he was a sweetheart. I mean, he was a very polite, very handsome man but uh, and he had a beautiful girlfriend who wanted to marry him but he refused and then but he, he he's gone now and at age could have been 34 yeah yeah but he young he left so soon yeah so yeah so this is the the sore subject in our family and i think after that it left something within the family also that we all disconnected mm-hmm. i think that's impact after his death yeah, yeah. wow yeah. 
Thank you so much for sharing that, Kellem. It's such a very sad story. I know that, you know, you always mention your brother, your brother, but I never really got to ask what, like, you know, for you to explain everything to me in this depth, just because I was very sensitive about whether you wanted to talk about it, you know, until, you know, when you, when we were having a conversation and you said, you know, Hey, I can talk about this. Then I was super excited because that would have also given me the opportunity to listen to his story firsthand from you. So I'm also like listening to this. I'm, I'm learning about this for the first time with the audience. Right. So now I I want us to, you know, I, we're going to definitely talk about a lot of the things that there's a few things that you pointed out or you mentioned, which I would really love to talk about so that we can shed more light into it. But I want to go back a little bit to, you know, when you were growing up with him, I mean, he was such a sweet kid, a calm kid, and everything. And so when did you realize that he had a problem? Like okay. when did you start seeing things different? Cause I would imagine that you probably were in the U S and yes. you know, you were not with him for most of the time. And then when you went back, you know, when did you see that, you know, Hey, this person is different. Like this is not who. Yeah. It's not himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. Like, so what happened is, like I said, I left very young. So growing up, he's my mother's son. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not my father's son. Mm-hmm. So my father and mother divorced and mm-hmm. she left and she had him. So he pretty much did not, we didn't grow up together anyway, yeah. not in the same household. Mm-hmm. But he always came and visited the family and uh, and he was the joy of my mom. You know, she raised that's the only child that she raised on. Mm-hmm. Most of us were raised by my dad and by helper in the house. So, so he, honestly speaking, we, we didn't know him that well, especially myself and my older brother and sisters. But my younger two sisters knew him very well because mm-hmm. they were younger. And then when we left for America, so they lived together. So we knew about him. We always, uh, you know, when we sent something for Christmas, we sent for the three of them and we always knew that whenever we talked to my mom, he was always with her. So honestly speaking, I can't say that I knew Alex personal level Mm -hmm. until I came back to Ethiopia, which was in 2002. Mm -hmm. By then he was just graduating high school. So I came back. So when I came back, I saw him that just finishing high school, but uh, he tried to go to the U.S. and he couldn't. Mm-hmm. He, he was refused a visa a couple of times. So finally I said, you know what, if you want to go to really do your university, I know India has a good program. So mm-hmm. let me send you there. And he said, OK. So he was willing, he was attentive to my kids, myself, always respected me, addressed me by my name. And so, so honestly, didn't know that he was suffering from anything because what I knew was always the same yeah so finally after he came back from India you know he was wanting to go out partying which I allowed that he wanted to wear the fashion clothes I bought but then he started lying you know things were start missing things in around the house mm-hmm. and my mom was complaining everybody else is complaining in the house and then I start seeing his eyes turning red, you know, mm. you know, slowly. But I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Plus, this kind of stuff is not common. Yeah, especially it's not that common. early. Now I can tell you that it's very common. The young girls and boys are doing drugs. Yeah. And so that time, so for me, it was new. Even when I was in America, I was not in any shape that I was not encountering any anyone with substance abuse. I didn't know anyone. In fact, maybe alcohol. I saw a lot of alcohol drinking. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I didn't see anybody using drugs. So finally, 
when I realized that he's having, and then he starts smoking, so he starts smelling him, and then his fingers and his throat, his lips yeah, yeah. was changing. So finally, that we knew that he was doing something. So then I said, you need to stay in my house because I have young children, yeah. and then you're not going to be a good influence. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So, but other than that, it, no one can say in our family that he was this, he was that. Never. He was the kindest person always willing to help, but he ended up being addicted to, I couldn't tell you, like I said, which drug, but and he had an addiction and he needed money and he couldn't keep up with that demand. And then he he sold everything that can find. Yeah. And then my mom started locking her house. And, you know, one time we, we even gave him a car and then he even sold the car. But anyway, we managed to get it back. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, a long process. And yeah. uh, so just to go back and now, Looking back, like I said, when I see a lot of young men and women on the street and, and the rehab center and the treatment center, mm-hmm. I keep saying my brother is in a better place. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I know for sure that substance abuse, especially in addition to mental health, you know, is a very, it's still a relatively new topic in our African community, especially back home. It's it's still something that people are trying to wrap their heads around because we all know that we're, you know, in our communities back home in Africa, we're used to all of the communicable diseases, the diseases that we can, you know, feel, right? We can, you know, it's like diseases that hurt us, not mentally, but physiologically. Like you have a bellyache or you have a headache, you know, things that can communicate with you. But now we're talking about mental health that some people even think is an illusion, Right. People think like, oh, if you feel down or if you're depressed, you know, everybody has been through this situation. You'll be just fine. You know, like just put yourself up or if you're feeling down, it means you're weak, you know. So it is related to weak, especially for men, for boys. Yes. You cannot express that emotion that uh, I'm feeling sad. I don't feel like. Right. Can express that. You can express that. And, you know, I I was just thinking about it and I was like, this may actually be one of the factors that push, especially the men to drugs, to substance abuse, because they are looking for an outlet to cope, like to, to, to put their, that, you know, that depression, that weight. Mm. So that's their own coping mechanism to cover up everything so that they shouldn't be looked upon as weak and stuff. So and then the more they go deeper into that hole of substance abuse, the more they're trying to, you know, use it Mm -hmm. to cover even more things as much as they're also trying to to feel. Yeah, they're trying to, 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 to have that feeling. You know, they're trying to make up for that initial feeling. Like, I mean, I know I've read in a couple of books and I've also watched a couple of videos that say, you know, how people get addicted. It's like when you first get introduced to the substance, whatever it is that you are addicted to, you know, there is some rush of dopamine. There's that height of pleasure that you feel that mm. you're always trying to meet up to that. Yes. Forget. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, There's that feeling yeah. that you're always trying to mm. get. So the more you use substances, you're trying to get to that height, Special that, yeah, that initial higher, yeah. feeling, but you can never really get to it, you know? So... I really feel like this is a topic that is very important for us to talk about because I'm just thinking like if this was something that was normal or at least something that it wasn't foreign in our community, maybe Alex would have opened up to talk to someone, you know, like this is how I feel. I feel stressed. And also, you know, the whole ideology of men in our African community, they have to be strong. They have to have their own. 
So maybe he was feeling so much pressure trying to build his own life and trying to have his mm-hmm. own that he just could not cope by himself and he needed some kind of assistance from a Outlet. substance, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. when you were talking, I was just thinking about all of these mm-hmm. things and I was like, I mean, I know you came from a very good family. You came from a well-off family. You guys were not like, I mean, I would think that money was not a primary issue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. to be in Addis or at least Ethiopia, which is mm-hmm. very relatively advanced compared to other African countries. The struggles we went through in Cameroon are not the same struggles we went through in in Ethiopia, Ethiopia. you know. So Ethiopia is way more advanced, you know. So I was trying to figure out, just trying to think about the possible issues that he may have been facing or the demons that he may have been fighting without even having the chance to talk to anyone because number one, nobody could really understand what was going on because he did not talk about it. And he was probably afraid of being judged by looking the community. Yes. Looking weak. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you touched the, the good point too. And I think from my side of you, I said, what's wrong with this kid? You know, so I'm judging him too. Yeah. And so you're also asking, like, you, you don't know. You're trying to figure it out yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, and like I said, if there was a, a space or acceptance within society where you can really express your feelings and that would have been okay. But today, you know, in 2022, still, I know a lot of men cannot accept counseling as a treatment. Yes, like that's, that's true. Sissies, that's a sissy. That's a, not, not man's work. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's you ladies. That's you talking. And, and also most men cannot... Kids, Accept counseling from a female counselor because they don't see a woman talking to them, telling them what to do. That's another trend that I have seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even what to do when you go to counseling. I mean, you just sit there and then they talk about your own problems so you can reflect on what you've gone through. So like I said, I have a boy and a girl and I see the difference. My daughter is open to any counseling service, you know, get it. But my son he said, what for? Yeah. So, and I keep reminding him, like, just it's like breathing and venting and then t- taking things off your chest and trying to find another way of handling things, you know? So again, that's society. We need to wake up before we lose more, more guys that are struggling through this oppression or, you know, so they will be saved. And also young girls now. And uh, when I go to this treatment center, which is, I do attend a lot because my job also, but also on a personal level, another friend of mine who is not a young girl, but younger than I am, but had three kids. I love it to death because she's a very pure soul mm-hmm. and she, she sold a property that made her end up having a lot of money in her hand. So before you know it, she casually started taking some kind of recreational drugs. Before you know it, she lost everything. And when I say everything, her children are now raised by their father and grandmothers. And she lost the money and she was on the street. Last time I checked because her family uh, sent her to a a treatment center in South Africa for three months. She came back. Uh, She relapsed again. She was in in a treatment center here in Ethiopia for one month, no, six weeks two times or three times and she relapsed. So she's on the street, she's homeless. So it's out of control. And uh, so for me, talking about the two people that I really dearly love, my younger brother, who is no longer with us, and my very good friend who's on the street today um, is a a victim of mental illness because I know she has mental illness in her family. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that she was taking this drug, I think expedited her or her mental illness made it exposed. Like in, in terms of medically, they said, if you have any kind of mental illness, you shouldn't be abusing any substance Yeah, because that expedited. And then I think that is the reason why she's on the street today, because looking back now, talking to her family, definitely she had some kind of a depression and yeah. then she ended up, yeah abusing the substance so you're right if we accept some kind of treatment uh, like a counseling those kind of things be hopefully minimized or treated yeah and you know it's very easy for people to say oh how can you be well off and then you or how can you have someone in your life and then you're driving on the road and you see them on the street and you you know like don't you feel bad or how can you have someone in your family who has mental illness or at least even substance abuse problems and you just let them be, you don't, you know, you, you don't do everything to, you just let them kill themselves or something. You know, it's very easy to, to judge from the judge. outside, you like know, but these, at the end of the day, these visible. are adults, number one, these are adults. And they would, if it was a kid, maybe we can have a case. They're like, oh, you could tie this kid down or lock the doors. But these are adults that even though they're not making rational decisions, but at the end of the day, they're adults and they will not let you do certain things to them. Like your brother would probably not let you tie him down, you know, like to say you're not going anywhere or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all he needs to do is just open the door and go and not communicate with you. And then one time you see him on the street and you want to take him off the streets, for example, and he would not want to come, you know, and you cannot really do much, you know, because... You can't yeah. bring the police because they're adults and, no. and they're not, they haven't committed a crime, you know? So no, they didn't. yeah, if anything, yeah. they're sick, you know? So what are one of the things that from your experience, and I just wanted to put this disclaimer out there. I should have done that when we started like these are not, we're not trying to spill out facts. We're talking strictly based on experience. Personal experience. Yes. Exactly. Personal experience. So what are one of the issues, like one of the like signs and I'll not even say signs, but what are one of the struggles that, you know, you had seen with your brother, you know, when he was doing like when, when he was abusing the drugs and stuff like that, in addition to the fact that he did not really want to, you know, talk about it with you. And also, you know, he basically sold everything. So what were one of the struggles that you faced as a caretaker, like, caring for him as a whole again you know between my mom and myself of course we looked after him but our intentions were different i mean she was worried about what people were going to say yeah you know yeah. This typical african mom yeah, <laughs> typical like you know she was sad for him but yet she's worried about what the neighbor's going to say what the auntie's going to say and i said i don't care what they're going to say he is sick he needs help and then the beauty is as soon as i approach him like the two three times i put him in rehabilitation center he was positive he was willing I, he didn't resist each time i approached him he was sorry my dog is barking anyway so he was fantastic you know when it comes to that and uh but in terms of my friend my my friend you know oh, the your friend, friend the one yeah. I, yeah she is refusing because this is today and her, his is seven years ago and then I guess seven plus six, yeah, almost um, 13 years ago. And her case, you know, uh, even the society now, even the in terms of security guards and the police, they are aware of uh, 
the drug, what's doing to people, what's happening in the society, but nobody's talking about it openly yet. Yeah. And, but in her case, you know, because she had money, of course, whoever the suppliers are, yeah. are always looking after her to supply her needs. Yeah. The so, yes people. And she has the money. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. Uh, so the fight is not only them looking after the dealers, the suppliers are the ones that are on your way and you don't know who they are. Yeah. And that's what's crippling the society now. Uh, I mean, until we, this, until it's talked about openly and then addressed, kids in school are eating brownies, you know, me, uh, I think baked with yeah. some kind of drug yeah. and they're collapsing in school. And that's been reported a couple of the private schools and yeah. uh, I don't know. And then the kids are not uh, saying anything that yeah. somebody supplied them and then they're not going to point this Fingers. is who supplied yeah. us. So they're not because they're telling them that they'll threaten them saying that we'll kill your parents or something like that. So it's not an open yet, mm-hmm. but the struggle is just starting. And in fact, a lot of diasporas from America too, they're bringing their children back here. Yeah. The ones that are going through this addiction problem yeah. to make the matter worse because looking for the holy water and thinking that uh, will heal. And then uh, sometimes it does heal if you believe in it. But those kids are medically, physically, uh, chemically needs to be addressed, rehabilitated, yeah. addressed. Because the problem is deep. Yeah, it's deeper than that. That's true. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to ask, right? I've always wanted to know. Because I know, you know, like when I first went to Ethiopia, that was like, what, almost 17 years ago. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I always saw like, especially guys on the streets, like just chewing, casually chewing that green leaf. I forgot what you called it. You know? Yeah. Cactus in English, they pronounce it, yeah. Chat. Yeah, but that t- was more common in the in, in some tribe. It was traditional thing after during fasting season. Yeah, and then you know to do meditation to to pray. Yeah, and now it's everywhere during the daytime, nighttime. Yeah, women, people just chewing and, it. So what is in that? What is yeah. in that stuff? In that in those leaves? Like what is it? Is it like a? I think it's. I don't think it's. Uh, it's not suppressive, but I mean, definitely. Does it make you high? Yes, it does make them high. And then to activate it, if you take sweet, this is what I was told, mm-hmm. uh, it's enhanced. It, so the high will last for 24 hours or something. Oh, my so God. It's a, and then it's a cash for Ethiopia. It, it gets exported to all the uh, Middle Eastern side of uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this side of Djibouti. Daily, there's a flight that goes to Djibouti and Somalia region. In Yemen, I don't know if they're still doing it today, but so it's... And is it addictive? It's openly. Yeah, because it's it's, it's still not like being censored or like, you know, it's just like walking on the street. People still chew it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then it's in the afternoon. So once they chew that, that, and then if uh, either they're zonked out or they're awake and then driving, they would be dangerous. Yeah. Under the influence. Yeah. And then, and then over time, use, of course, affects your uh, mental status. And and, uh, the more you do it, the more you you react less, but yet damage yourself more. Yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, it it, it does also affect the GI system, but it's openly done. Wow. It's not uh, considered as, I mean, obviously in Europe and America, it's considered drug. So you cannot. Mm-hmm. use it or take it around but here in Ethiopia it's openly yeah used. so do you think maybe that could be, have been what jump started like Alex's addiction because he started from that and then went to some other thing 
I think so because it's widely available. It's cheap yeah. at that time, but now it's too expensive. I think that's where it started because um, his teeth and his uh, his appetite also suppresses your appetite. Mm. So I think that's where it started. Definitely, yeah. And then a lot of students use it just to keep them to keep them awake and then to keep them going and during exams time. Mm. But now, once you started, you, you can't stop. Because like yeah. you said, you want that fix the first time, fix over and over again, but it doesn't mm-hmm. happen. I think that's where I started. But now I can't say much, but uh, I know there's quite a lot of, of other uh, things drugs that are out there, yeah. out there, but I don't know where it's coming from. Right. You uh, know, I wanted us to actually talk about that because, and this is basically based off of what we could be predicting or what we may have experienced personally and stuff. Because on a personal level, I feel like, you know, of course, I know we have a problem, especially in the continent of Africa, like I said, because mental health and substance abuse is something that is just getting new. I honestly feel like with the emergence of social media, that has really exacerbated the use of substance yes. abuse, basically yes. the rate of substance abuse, you know, because the Western culture has kind of romanticized the use of drugs, even in like lyrics and, you know, getting oh. drunk on robotocin or what is the other one? I, I don't Tram- even know. Tramadol, tramadol. Yeah, just, just, just all this other medic drugs, mm-hmm. illicit drugs, you know, they have kind of romanticized it. And, you know, here, quite all right, people who are addicted have more resources and even better resources yes. than, yes. you know, back home in Africa as a whole. And I say Africa because exactly. in the whole continent, it's, you know, even in our culture, it's not part of our culture. So, you know, the exposure through social media to the Western culture is kind of like diluting our own values back home and introducing especially the young generation and even our generations as well to mm-hmm. the use of illicit drugs to make it look drugs. cool. And also, believe it or not, you know, there's a lot of people struggling with one thing or the other in our continent. I mean, even all of my adult life has been in America, but growing up in Africa, when I was in my, you know, adolescent ages, there were just so many struggles, like, you know, even from school, boarding school was so harsh, you know, and, you know, we didn't have access to money like that. So believe me, if, if the, it, yeah, it wasn't option. even a priority, but mm-hmm. if we had that access to drugs, many people would have probably depended on drugs just to numb Definitely. the struggles and the pain. So I feel like Definitely. the emergence of social media has exposed us to, you know, access, I would say access, not that social media brings us the drugs, but like seeing the, the lifestyle of, you know, especially the Western culture, we yearn that in our continent. And then now we try to look for different ways to have that access to medication. Either we do that in the kitchen, like I were talking about hand sanitizer, people getting addicted to hand sanitizer, you know, or people just go online, Google and look for different concoctions and put together. Or people can, you know, like, for example, as we were talking earlier, Ethiopia is kind of a hub in Africa because, you know, you guys have a very fantastic airline and everybody going to Ethiopia. Most people actually have to stop in the Addis Mm -hmm. before going to the next into the next. So it's like you have you bringing African Union to you know, mm-hmm. Ethiopia, not the organization, please. <laughs> but yes. it's like you're bringing, no. you know, all this yeah, African. No, Africa's connected with the rest of the world. Yes. Lines, definitely. Yes. yes. So the it's like. It's all connected. Yeah. Right. And then everyone comes in, you know, some people stay, some people come from not only Africa, actually, 
other parts of the world, they come Asia, in into yeah, Ethiopia Europe, and America. of course they bring whatever, you know. So I feel like that is where the problem that contributes to the problem as well. What do you think? I mean, yes. I mean, like you said, I'm not claiming anything, but just from my personal view, I know proud of Ethiopian Airlines, but definitely Ethiopia has been, or Africa has been connected with the rest of the world thanks to the airlines. So that has, I think, definitely opened that uh, avenue mm-hmm. for different illicit drugs to come and go, maybe. Mm-hmm. None of it grow. I mean, obviously, chat is growing in the, within the country and then it's widely available and then it's openly practiced. But the rest, yes. the cocaine stuff, obviously, is coming from outside. Outside, world. yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And then how it's got how it's gotten here, obviously, through the airline, you know, like uh, yeah. most countries in South America and in America, it's suffering yeah. the same way it's been shipped in and out. But yeah. again, because the awareness is not there yet, mm-hmm. maybe now better than maybe Before. 10 years ago, but yeah. now for maybe they're looking to it. You know, they have uh, sniff dogs now, mm-hmm. but Yet, uh, I'm sure it came somewhere from Asia yeah. and then uh, going to West Africa and then coming from South yeah. Africa to, I mean, uh, yeah. all direction. I don't know. Yeah. But um, definitely it's available where it comes from. I don't know, but definitely that will be the source. Yeah. And also with respect to pain medications, you know, and, and when you say West Africa as well, I can also relate to Cameroon, you know, because... I, I know people, I actually know people like extended family members or even like friends or classmates or whatever. I know people who are either currently addicted or are in remission. Hopefully they don't relapse, you know, or people who have lost their lives to the use of illicit drugs, you know. And it's so sad because a lot of people just ingest these substances without really knowing exactly what they're taking. And some of them know actually, but... I also feel like another thing that is going to or actually is currently exacerbating the use or the abuse of especially pain medications is a lack of regulation. Anybody can walk into a pharmacy and get tramadol. Anybody can walk into a pharmacy and get oxycodone, you know, so. There the is, good thing we don't have that much of a prescription drugs. I mean, the extent will be tramador at this point uh, within Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Other than that, oxycodone, codeine is not available. That is not available, at least to mm-hmm. my knowledge, in right. the, the pharmacy level. Right. Like you said, those are the simply that's how you get the prescription for some following your, your surgery some kind of surgery procedure and then you will end up being addicted to the prescription drugs and then it becomes out of control. I think in that level here, maybe, I don't know, honestly, that I have not seen, but from the chat point of view or from alcohol yeah. level, yes, it's higher. And then the other one, the cocaine crack, I don't know yeah. where it's coming from, but yeah. it's out there. It's yeah. there. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, these are the kind of things that, you know, our lawmakers need to look into and be more vigilant Definitely. about. You know, because this this is a silent killer, like in the next maybe five, 10 years, like it's probably going to be a public health emergency. And these are the things that our lawmakers in Africa and even the healthcare providers need to be on the watch for, because this is a silent killer, especially mental health. I really wish that we had as many facilities and as much focus to mental health and I really but I've seen an improvement for sure in you know the focus that we're putting to mental health yes but the the population and the demand and the supply supply it's uh, yeah it doesn't balance off you know it's not balancing out yeah yeah, but otherwise yes there's hope yeah yeah but I also wanted to mention something that uh, 
you know, something that's not common, maybe. On the street now, there's a lot of, you know, young kids, you know, homeless, and they call them the sniff boys. Mm. And what they're doing, they're sniffing glues. What? Glue and a glue. It's a heavy glue to stick things, you know? Oh my God. And uh, yeah. And then they keep it in a plastic bottle, like a disposable plastic bottle. And then they keep the glue there. They inhale it. So well, how do they like, inhale it? They, they just, the smell of the glue? The smell of the glue. And so I think they heat it up maybe because sometimes it's golden. And I've interviewed, I walked around and I took my son to see them. And so what they said was, listen, suppresses our appetite our hunger and then it keeps us warm and then it keeps us happy hmm. so i didn't tell them to stop doing it because i didn't have any solution for them and then to tell them just those is not good for you but this is also something that's out of control on the street oh my god and those kids when they're high on this uh, glue they are very violent and they fight with each other fight uh, you know they make the street unsafe and like you said our lawmakers have to be away on those developing things yeah. within the society and address it and then have a, a proper rehabilitation center. And those kids, they grew up on the street, so they only need a mental health treatment. They need a holistic kind of a, approach that uh, yeah. will help them recover because they are destroyed. I'm sure I don't know what kind of effect will have on their brain or on their development. Wow. But that's also something that's out of control and done openly. Wow. And like you said, it's true. Our lawmakers are the one needs to really address. And then I know I heard a couple of times that the government is trying to help them, assist them to get them off the street. And then one time they did, they took them to a camp and they came back again. So it's not removing them from the yeah. street is what's going to help them yeah they need to be addressed yeah you know yeah uh, you know and they're becoming thief they're becoming criminals now yeah because they have nothing to lose yeah so uh, yeah the, so the drug abuse is not only the prescription drugs and then not only alcohol and yeah it's like concoctions different concoctions the ones that you said yeah yeah, yeah oh my goodness I'd, I'd never yeah. i'd never heard about that you know and, you know, yeah. one thing that I want to commend you for is like taking your son to see yes. the reality of what these people go through. You know, I mean, unfortunately, we're not at a position to have as many resources to, you know, help these people and provide them solutions. Because, you know, I mean, I feel like on a larger scale, the government should be able to do that, you know, but taking your son to see the realities of what these people are going through is going to be very impactful. I hope, you know, so that he knows that, you know, Hey, if I do this, this is where I could possibly end up, you know? So that, that's such a good thing. It's one thing that we're starting to have facilities, right? Rehab facilities to Uh care for these people. But I strongly feel like we focus on only the initial care and people don't really put like the relapse into account because a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, she spent, he or she spent three months in this facility and they're totally fine. Hey, they look good. They look, they feel better and we let them go and that's it. They should be fine. Now, if they relapse, then it's on them. But I honestly feel like Treatment and healing from mental health and substance abuse is a journey and not a destination because the chances of relapse is extremely high. Like, think of it this way. Think of like your favorite meal and, you know, or a favorite moment that you had in your childhood. And then you see something just random that reminds you of that favorite meal, for example, and you start craving it. You know, it's like 
you want to go and eat that meal and then you can, all you can do is just make an order or cook the meal, right? I mean, I'm no expert, but I honestly feel like that could also be one of the things that is going on, you know, because yeah, you are feeling better at that moment and you know, you're drug free and you're clean, but like it takes just one trigger. Yeah. It takes just one random trigger that you don't even know about that will bring that urge for you to go back to the Mm -hmm. drugs and the urge will be more than your willingness to fight it, you know, and that's how you go back. Mm So I know that they're they're not, again, we don't have resources, right? Because if we had resources, I feel like we would have been able to better handle like relapse cases, you know? I mean, the system doesn't have resources as much as the patients themselves. They don't even have the money to keep going back, uh, you know? And the country level, country level. Yeah. Yeah. As a whole African country, we're just working up and struggling to first of all uh, put food on the table uh, implement peace then first yeah the food and the peace is the priority at this point while yeah. we're tackling this major uh, aspect there's this uh, drug problem and that's finishing the youth this is the future this is the future generation i don't think if we don't handle it now there's not going to be a lot of them who can take over and then, you know, run the country. Yeah. That much is what I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, because the unemployment is so high that the youth are easily drifted to this kind of easy way out. And yeah. uh, that requires a lot of money and stuff like that. But so, like you said, this is another topic for next time. But true, it's just... Again, at home, there's no home, you know, for those street kids. Obviously, there's no home to yeah. begin with. And it's like, so you wonder, like, why are they on, on the street to begin with? That's the, the main source, yeah. uh, you know. And obviously, those ones that are already addicted, I don't know how it's going to be handled, but at least to cut it in, you know, in the bottom, you have to take the street, uh, the girls from the street also off the yeah. street. Yeah. The girls are also having babies on the street and, yeah. and they get hooked on the same routine. And then before you know it, that's a vicious cycle. And Africa as a whole needs to really address this issue, you know, as a priority with the peace. Yeah. You know, being peace is also another priority, but this is also something that's happening in the 21st century for all of us. And then, you yeah. know, it's killing Africa. Yeah, it's killing the the youth. Yeah, that's very true. And another thing that, you know, I really want to encourage our people to do is just to speak up because I can only imagine the demons that Alex was fighting, you know, and I feel like at the point where he took his life, he probably was not able to fight those demons anymore. You know, like he was at the end of it, like not any money could fill that void. Nothing could help that pain or that battle that he was fighting and he was like i'd rather end this than to keep you know fighting back and forth going yeah yeah because yeah he's hurt his mother he saw his mother really sad and then i tell you my mother at the end when he died she couldn't cry i think in my opinion she ran out of tears yeah because she said i already buried my son six years ago oh my god so she said now he's in a better place so you're right, the demon and the coping mechanism. And, you know, like, again, at home, the message for all of us as mothers, you know, we need to help our kids to help them express their feelings and yeah. to deal with the, any shortcomings and then not to label things. So that way they can express themselves. Yeah, so, yeah. And you do a very good job at that, learned, actually. But, uh, it's not easy. Yeah, you do a good job I at that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've I've yeah, watched you from easy. the sidelines. It's not easy. It's not, but it's not I feel like you've done a wonderful job 
you know, at that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And never forget that. Thank I know my mom tells you all the time. Never forget yes. that. You're such a wonderful mother. Thank you. It's not easy, but like you said, especially being single mom. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, but I have the support system that helps. Dr. Grace is number one in here. The grandmother, she says she holds them. <laughs> she addresses herself when it comes to their eyes. So, yeah, but I hope this, like you said, the beginning of this conversation, but we cannot tackle it on our level. But again and again, if we all speak about it, that will become normal and then we can find a solution together. Yeah, I, I agree. So are there any centers that you may know, like, for example, in Ethiopia, that you can recommend people to go to if they have any problems or if they know anyone that has a problem mentally and also with substance abuse? Sure. Um, in the government center, the Paulos St. Paul Hospital has a rehabilitation center. Mm-hmm. And also a private level uh, will be Stota. It's a, a hospital privately run by Dr. Jonas. In Addis. Fantastic physician. Yeah. Psychiatrist that uh, also run this treatment center where I took my friend and a lot of patients from our organization also. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's done a good job, you know, but we need more because yeah. we are uh, 120 million people mm-hmm. and it's not enough. Yeah. We need more centers like that equipped with the expertise, with the expertise that needs, uh, you know, and, and every, um, addiction yeah and and society will also will be easy on those people also i mean obviously yes. it's an addiction and they're not there because i don't think they're there i mean obviously they're there because they're done an experiment but it's harder to get out so be more sympathetic and then give support yeah and then i see a lot of family also burning out but it's not like you said, it's a journey but uh, for that burnout to minimize to have a support system yeah you know further yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, how can people reach out to you if they want to chit chat? <laughs> oh, so, you know, I guess I'm not the social media person, but my email, my Gmail address I shared with you. And, okay. Uh, I guess uh, on Facebook, there's a messenger, right? Yeah. Uh, messenger. Yeah. But yeah. And my dog is still barking. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it. I can. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we have to continue talking about this again. Yes, definitely. There's a lot of aspect to since just the beginning. Then maybe we can focus on a, on the treatment part of it. Maybe oh, yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. I really, really had a great time having this conversation with you. And I know we've come to the end of this conversation, but this is just the beginning. So what other last words do you have? For our audience, especially those residing in Africa. Um, again, like you said it earlier, let's talk about it. And I know in every household, there's one, if not two, family member going through this addiction problem, as yeah. we speak. And having this addiction and with a mental health, uh, mental health problem, underlying mental health problem, it's a bad combination. So the early intervention is better. So to talk about it, to ask for help, to reach out and to give them some kind of support so that way they don't shy away and then to go more deeper in the, in the abuse, you know what I mean? Yeah. So earlier when you see the sign to approach people and maybe address the problem or yeah. earlier before it gets worse. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm available if they need uh, any kind of support, whatever I went through, I can 
share that experience. Yes. Thank you so much, Kellen, for sharing. It's such a ple- it was such a pleasure having this conversation with you. It's not easy to reminisce and share such a very deep and heavy story. And you have that courage to share. You know, you've always been courageous. So it's I'm not surprised that you're sharing your story, you know. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you as a sister. I appreciate you as a friend. Thank you for all you do. And I just want to also end by encouraging our community to talk. You know, I feel like that's why I started this platform to give us a safe space to have conversations. So I hope that this topic actually sparks conversations within people in our African circles and even out of our African circles. I hope that everyone can learn at least a few things from this episode and also identify, hopefully the episode helps our audience identify certain things that they need to look for in their loved ones if they are struggling with anything mentally or with substance abuse because we do not want people's lives to end like the way Alex's life ended, you know? So this is really why we're trying to shed more light on this to save lives, you know, so people don't, you know, run into the same pretty command that you did, you know. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you and I love you. Yeah, thank you. I hope it went well. I know it did. So I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.